Hello and welcome to the History and Theory podcast, a student-led project that aims to make historical theory easy and accessible. We are James, Michael, Carlos, Alex, and Julia. In each episode, we talk to a different historian about their theoretical background, the historical practice, and the significance of history within society. Make sure to visit our website, which you can find in the description. But for now, enjoy the episode. Today we're talking to Hannes Granditz, Professor of Southeastern European History at the Humboldt Universität in Berlin. His research on the history of the former Yugoslav countries spans from the early 19th to the late 20th century, and a recurring theme in his research is different forms of power structures in the region, such as family networks and systems of social security, which he addresses using historical anthropological methods. And today we'll be specifically discussing with him the concept of Balkanism, based on the ideas outlined in Maria Todorova's Imagining the Balkans, famous for applying Edward Said's concept of Orientalism to the Balkans, as well as how students and historians can use these concepts in historical practice. Hannes Granditz is known for having used and praised Todorova's approach, and we'll be discussing this today. Mm-hmm. So to start off, we're just wondering if you could tell us exactly what Balkanism is. Mm-hmm. Balkanism is a concept that um, has... Uh, been put forward uh, in discussions, in particularly in the 1990s, after the, these big transformations uh, and the war in Yugoslavia, uh, where in earlier periods these concepts of um, the East-West divide of the Cold War and uh, between the socialist and the Western democratic uh, countries were the major frame of interpretation. When the uh, the wars in Yugoslavia started, there was an increasing new approach in explaining cultural difference as a major factor in in trying to understand the ongoing dynamics, wars and transformations. So the wars in Yugoslavia became described as something that is very typical for the Balkans. And looking back to history, one can see that the Balkans are very much characterized by wars where also nation and culture played a particular role. This was the the background uh, where in the second half of the 1990s, uh, Maria Todorova's book somehow became one of the probably best known works depicting the the longer history uh, or, or trying to put attention to the longer history of such a cultural othering. Uh, of a region. And in her book, she somehow uh, referred to that Balkanism is something that is now so present, but that is not new. Because if we look back to the period uh, before World War II, or even the period uh, in the 19th century, there was already an established discourse that seems so uh, similar to the discourses that she observed uh, during the 1990s. And then she said, this is Balkanism, yeah, this kind of culturing, othering to explain ongoing historical developments. So thanks for that overview. And where is Balkanism then today in comparison to where it was in the 90s? In the 90s, I mean, one of the, the, the explanations she had to give is, uh, is Balkanism Orientalism in, inside its meaning? Yeah? And she somehow defended the concept of Balkanism as something different from Orientalism for a variety of reasons. On the one hand, Balkan societies, for example, the Yugoslav ones, were not predominantly Muslim. Yeah? 
Uh, they were pre- predominantly Christian. They were not outer European, but within uh, Europe. Uh, and the question of colonial uh, rule was was not in that way established. So main factors of Orientalism in sites uh, uh, terms were not applicable uh, for these regions. So uh, she said there is a there's another tradition within Europe. Yeah. So that this kind of Europe as as being divided between different cultural polarities. Yeah. And usually very very uh, strongly uh, referring to east-west polarities yeah and in this way also polarities that that uh, have roots in um in in, in the development of the the solution of the Im- imperial context mm. so it really was trying to move away from this simplistic idea of the west versus the east and mm-hmm. sort of bring some complexity to analyses of the region and also uh, within europe um i think um, particularly in in global studies uh, and and studies of non-european history this kind of concept of how europe is praised as the perfect more successful or sometimes I don't know, more advanced uh, history, despite all uh, tragedies and, and uh, disasters. But she also focused that, that, that within Europe, there are, there, there are concepts that orientalizing um, some regions, making them culturally, uh, also cultural diversity is a factor very, very crucial to European uh, history as well. But uh, in this kind of um, a light and modern culture versus a dark and backward culture. I think these polarities do not only refer to Europe and the world, but they are also well established within Europe. And the Balkans is one of those uh, regions that, that have a long tradition of being somehow put as, as the other the others in, in Europe. And this was the main message of Maria Todorova's book. Uh, and this book had an enormous success. Mm. Yeah, uh, It was within a few years, I think, translated into 12, 13 languages among all of those of the region. Yeah, Because many people from the region somehow uh, were somehow relieved to read about, look, you are making us different. We are not so different. And I think this was uh, triggering a, a very important um, discussion about how to explain post-Cold uh, War developments in Europe. So you've talked about how it's related to Orientalism, but mm-hmm. could you maybe expand a little bit on how it's related to post-colonial studies? Actually, in her book, uh, in the, and particularly, I think, in the in, in this period when this has been written, that's that's an that's a, a, a interesting anecdote because... Uh, Maria Todorova uh, uh, has uh, been invited as a guest professor at the University of Graz. Uh, and this was the place where I, in this period of time when this book was written, did my PhD work. Yeah. And uh, having um, uh, Maria Todorova there as a guest professor, I went to a seminar and the seminar was Imagining the Balkans and we discussed uh, the chapters uh, of the book. And, and during the um, the, the seminar, she was informed by the publishers that she has to cut the 
the manuscript by a third, so she, I know the longer version, <laughs> or at least uh, if I remember it properly. Uh, referring now to what, what you said about post-colonial uh, discussions, I think that in this mid or second half of the 1990s, the post-colonial uh, boom was not that present. Um, and it, 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 it is, um, um, I think it's, it's, it's also not that valid for 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 the Balkan uh, context since they have not been real colonies. Also, the, the question of colonization and decolonization is addressed by Maria Todorova. It, it, it was not a major factor to explain uh, her main messages. Okay. So maybe moving on to some more general um, questions about theory. Mm-hmm. One of the questions we've got is if there's any way to use concepts like the West or the Balkans or Central Europe or Southeastern Europe without being accused of implicitly privileging one thing or provincializing another. The, the term that Todorova uses is ghettoization or ghettoizing. Um, and so, yeah, whether it's possible to use these terms without privileging one thing over the other. Mm-hmm. I think at our department, I think our main philosophy uh, of, of the Institute for Geschichtswissenschaften is uh, being particularly interested in European history uh, and um, uh, European hi- history in its global entanglements. If we look closer, then, then uh, the understanding of, of, of many of us is that, that there are, looking to the 20s, 19th and earlier centuries, there is also a lot of heterogeneity within European history. history. And I think um, there should be a sensibility for the differences uh, within uh, European history without labeling as something, I don't know, more, more uh, progressive and other more backward. Or, or, uh, and I think um, we have to, to work with um, a curiosity in the differences within European history. It's not implying the differences in itself are somehow loaded or culturally loaded, what they can be. Yeah? Uh, and so I think we should be quite well aware about, uh, about theories to, to, to othering yeah? uh, or culturally othering, which are embedded in much of historiography, not just for the Balkans. Let's look to southern Italy. Yeah? That has been always been in, uh, described as in opposite to the north of Italy as something of developments you have here d- uh, different kind of uh, um, social and cultural realities. Yeah, on the one hand we have to be aware of this and also uh, engage in deconstructing much of this um, uh, r- rhetoric uh, uh, tropes. Yeah, on the other hand, I mean. Um, Looking for differences is also our task, yeah? and, and also trying to explain why certain uh, uh, long durée or, 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 or some, some caesuras brought different results in, within the European history. Increasingly doing this, we can see that uh, m- most parts of European history are uh, also entangled in, in wider uh, developments that are not just uh, 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 understandable only by looking to certain European phenomena alone. Mm. And so this idea of uh, Balkanism, is, is that, would you say that's trying to look at kind of global entanglements by taking ideas of Orientalism and applying them within Europe? Or would you say there's kind of maybe if, if more you look, work mm-hmm. that needs to be done to make it more global? 
If you look, uh, Balkanism, um, as the way uh, Todorova uh, tries to explain it, um, she sees it closely connected with the disintegration of the imperial order. Uh, so that means uh, the Balkans or Southeastern Europe have been for many centuries uh, characterized uh, uh, as a bordering region of two or three empires, the Ottoman and the Habsburg empires. And uh, there was also uh, the presence of the Venetian Republic. So this kind of triplex confinium. During this period up into the 19th century, uh, it was an imperial borderland. Yeah? And in this way, the Balkans in itself have hardly been really um, a major framework of explanation of the history uh, of this region. Yeah? With the disintegration of this imperial rule, which took place um, in the framework of great power competition, uh, not only, also by the emerging of new nation states. This uh, discourse about uh, a region where Balkan states uh, have, their, uh, have their parochial fights and they draw in the, the, the good European soldiers, yeah? a little bit in this way. So this is a, a, a relatively late phenomena, the Balkan explanation, uh, which then loses in the Cold War and returns back. If you see it, um, that uh, um, the dissolution of the imperial order could be a global entanglement uh, of the historical framework. But in the end, something like uh, Balkanism also can be applied also for other uh, contexts, I think, within, within Europe, where the fragmentation of imperial rule went hand in hand with the establishment of new regional nationalisms. Yeah. Uh, also, it has not been really done uh, in this way. That it's, it has, I think, uh, remained, a, uh, I, don't know, a, I don't know if it's a monopoly for, for the region, <laughs> that there was there's such an intensive discussion about something like Balkanism. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I mean, Orientalism is, is something very present in, in, in discourses about the, the non-European uh, former colonial and then post-colonial spaces. I think that some, many of these basic uh, assumptions within the concept of Balkanism could also be applied to other parts of Europe. Moving back to this idea sort of kind of historians being sensitive of certain concepts, um, intellectual history is often accused of being a Gipfelwanderung, so mm-hmm. kind of that historians sit in their ivory tower and their ideas aren't necessarily particularly relevant for real society, partly because it tends to privilege sources stemming from big thinkers or intellectuals or elites. And one of our criticisms of the text was that Todoreva is also guilty of this, as she mainly uses sources of intellectuals and elites. So our question is if there's more of a history from below approach to this story, whether you can look at it from a history mm-hmm. of sort of, yeah, more history of below approach to, to Balkanism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think where all historians are engaged in is in, 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 in the framing game. Yeah. So if you look back to the 1990s, is the question, what, has, uh, what is the proper explanation of the Yugoslav Wars? Is it evident what, what they have been? Or is it a result of public, political and historiographical debates? Yeah. And I think that intellectual historians are, are playing an important role in this debate. But I think also other historians uh, 
play a, a, an important role. So I think, for example, um, Todorova has in her book uh, a, a strong critique on Václav Havel's understanding of uh, Central U Europe, where, where this idea, what you now also find in, in, the, in the political um, initiatives of the so-called Visegrad countries, that, that they somehow always claim we are, we are Central Europeans, we are not East Europeans, we are not Balkan Europeans, and, and we are a little bit different, and, and, and please acknowledge our Central Europeanness. Yeah? But this is something that um, intellectuals like Václav Havel, uh, in a way of uh, explaining why Czechoslovakia or the, the Czech Republic should be more to the West or understood more West and not East. Yeah? And I think there's a lot of merit to, to go into criticizing such issues that that very much uh, legitimize also political action uh, and also uh, are present in uh, in historiographic understanding till the end to to establish uh, chairs with a kind of den denomination. Yeah? But I think that intellectual uh, history as an isolated field of historiography, for, for me, um, can then really be a little bit dangerous, yeah, uh, because if you only think that uh, historical or epistemological uh, understanding is the result of, of of big thinkers and and and, and successful ideas, I think it, it's in a way um, a field of historiography that needs to be closely also directed what you said is uh, discussions of of bottom up developments so why do uh, historic uh, uh, humanitarian intervention take place why do insurgencies and war uh, come to being most often not only because of ideas so uh, uh, their underlying uh, structural uh, and, and other um, dynamics involved. Yeah. I think intellectual history has an enormous importance, uh, but it should not lose uh, its attachment to other fields. Saying this now as a regional historian. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> can, you, can you maybe make um, some examples about this uh, way of doing history? that is not an intellectual history that was influenced by Balkanism? Like, how did Balkanism change the way maybe local historians or people who are looking at sources of, like, I don't know, I think of, of your work, family structures and so on, think of their work there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I relate it to the work that you mentioned, kinship studies, yeah, then um, uh, I, I wrote some some uh, uh, works and, and books and also a, a big study about uh, the changes in rural and urban family life in the Habsburg Empire and so on. And then you can see that there is cultural difference. Yeah? And uh, you can see that, for example, pastoral communities in, I don't know, in the Alps have a different kind of marriage behavior uh, uh, or norms about... Uh, Uh, non-marital children than, than, than you can find maybe in, in urban communities, uh, proletarian of the uh, second half of the 20th century. So there's cultural difference. The challenge is how can we talk about cultural difference? And I think there's also um, a difficulty to, to totally rule out culture. Yeah? I think, uh, yeah, I mean, 
in these insurgents that I'm studying in the Herzegovina culture plays no role. Yeah? It's only economy yeah? or, or the new idea of, uh, of the nation. In the end, you can, you can see that there are rural urban communities with lifestyles and value systems that play a role also in the way how they're mobilized for political and other, other issues. Uh, and there was a, a big debate um, also between Todorov and others uh, that by, by somehow deconstructing the cultural factor, she's somehow um, uh, leveling out. Um, so in the end, all societies have so much more in common and we shouldn't focus on the cultural side of, of, of explanation. Yeah. I mean, I think when the book was written, it was absolutely needed Uh, because the, the, the whole Yugoslav situation and wars were over, uh, uh, by, by far over-culturalized. Yeah? But on the other hand, um, you, you, one shouldn't go too far by, by not engaging in, in, in ideas of social and cultural structures involved. Yeah? And I think historical anthropology, as I understood it, was also a kind of a, of a, uh, a dialogue between um, historiography and ethnology, And technology uh, also a kind uh, of, of discipline interesting in the deeper meaning of how people believe that their, their social life looks like or their religious attachments are and why they find that their tradition is so important and what, why their tradition is different from the tradition of the other. So this is something that um, uh, Todorova intervened yeah, uh, very strictly uh, in, in, the, in the period of time where she sensed that there's too much culture in the game. And I think this was a good time to do this. But there's also, a, uh, one can go too far. So on this topic, do you think that sort of people on the ground, lay people, uh, aware of these debates and have sort of something to say that maybe is missed out in this book on ideas of being part of Central Europe or being Balkan? <laughs> My favorable radio station is Radio Cosmo that was earlier called Radio Multiculti. Yeah? Uh, it, it is the migrant radio station that has been formed in, in, in Berlin and now it's based in the Ruhrgebiet and, but also Berlin is in, included and they have also... Um, news program in different languages, but then again. And, uh, and there's one emission where uh, uh, it's, it's called uh, uh, the Balkanizer. Yeah. And it's very popular by, by listeners because uh, he is making constantly uh, fun about I'm a Balkan and this is our values, this is our food, this is our music, this is our mentality. And I then somehow criticized him. You are balkanizing your audience, yeah, and you 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 make the, the people so uh, seemingly different. And then they said the people want it, yeah. They they want to say we. Uh, so there, are, for example, there are interviews. Uh, how did you feel when you came to Germany? Did you feel uh, was it difficult for you? Yes, it was. Our mentality, their mentality. So uh, I think many people are aware of this playing around, uh, for example, I'm Austrian. We Austrians, I don't know, love mountains and skiing and so on. Uh, I don't know if others do, but I mean, this is involved and um, it's part of a little bit of an of, of a established discourse. But the difficulty is if this established discourse become our main uh, points of explanation. <laughs> so there should be a kind of sensitivity. Um, so, and, and that was, it was really uh, uh, astonishing to me 
how, for example, all these, these Balkan parties uh, that, that are ongoing, they are totally popular, yeah? and the people say, now we are behaving Balkan. Yeah? Uh, also, they probably are here, third generation, never lived somewhere, but so it can also be something that you choose for yourself. Yeah? And if you have it more in such an open terms, then it's, then it's, it's for me quite okay. But if it's somehow, if it's too deterministic or essentialized, then it becomes problematic. And historiography is, or much of historiography is, is often essentializing. Yeah? And then therefore, Todorova's approach is always good. If you, then you, can, if you read texts, you can see, look, uh, it's, not, it's not talking about different approaches to something, but it's about the deep-rooted, I don't know, <laughs> cultural... Uh, Uh, determination yeah for this reason yeah people are aware people playing with it sometimes when it comes from outside they reject it and sometimes they perform it mm. so sticking with this idea of balkanization specifically um the, the idea is quite deeply connected with concepts of progress and with development um and we wanted to ask what this paradigm can tell us about changing views of modernity and time, especially with reference to nationalism, how it maybe turns traditional con conceptions of time progressing forward and states becoming more modern on its head? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think uh, the, the pre-discussion uh, before Balkanization has been uh, so prominent was Lebanonization. The implosion of uh, uh, Lebanon in the, in the civil war there Uh, was a framework of, of, uh, of explaining how a functioning state uh, breaks down during civil war, ethnic strife, um, and becomes something like a failed state. And then there was the question of, does Lebanonization also apply to other parts? And then it was somehow transformed to Balkanization, where the, the, the breakdown of Yugoslavia, for example, into... Uh, different states and within the states like in Bosnia and other with enclaves and, and, and uh, parts that are not really uh, uh, integrated into the newly states, this kind of um, uh, and, and also legitimized by nationalist claims, yeah, this was somehow uh, uh, seen as uh, explaining state failure. State failure like Yugoslavia or, 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 or Balkan And, and Balkanization has been by nationalist uh, agitation. It's interesting, I don't know, if, if, if you look now, if, if the discussion on, on Syria uh, or, or, or Libya uh, are still using the Balkan framework, I think it's, it's the, the hate days are gone. It's, it's because, I mean, there are, or if, if you take Afghanistan or other, other uh, regions uh, or, or countries in the world uh, that disintegrate, Uh, and where local um, power holders uh, uh, controlling territory and militias are involved. I think that, unfortunately or tragically, there are much more cases now that the Balkanization paradigm is, is no longer in, in, in such a, uh, in, in so much in, in presence. Yeah. The interesting thing is um, uh, why it was so interesting differently from other parts is that it was uh, occurring in Europe. So it was the European. It was a European development. So usually said, yeah, this happens, but it it won't happen in Europe. But it happened. Uh, I mean, it happened so close 
you know, to the beaches <laughs> of the Adriatic Sea and so close uh, to the European or encircled the European Union. So I think this is, um, and, and here you, you are right, here this kind of progress and modern, modernity are, are falling back uh, or falling out of modernity is still present because if you if you if you listen to this this discussions about European integration and the integration of the Western Balkan state, there's a much of this basic understanding that you have to reach levels of modern administrative and judiciary rule and so on. So this is a remnant where where it's within Europe still still there. Mm. More specifically on the the text itself. The, the book has seven main chapters and the first six track the development of this sort of imaginary construct of the Balkans. Um, and the seventh is called Realia and asks the question, what is there outside of the text? Mm -hmm. This very post-structuralist idea of there being nothing outside of the text. <laughs> mm -hmm. So our question to you is, is there something outside of the text or are the Balkans entirely a, const a construct? Within Southeast European studies, or in German-speaking Southeast European studies, there was the so-called famous sundhausen todorova debate. Uh, sundhausen has been professor for Southeast European history at the Freie Universität, um, uh, and he uh, strongly um, uh, went into discussion uh, against Todorova by looking that there are structural factors uh, that can't be totally neglected, that it's uh, not just the text or the discourse that creates uh, social and uh, political and other realities. So economic factors. Economic like factors, uh, and in particular factors uh, uh, referring to the to the history of uh, societies in southeastern Europe or the Balkans. Uh, uh, he takes uh, uh, rates like I don't know uh, institutional life or uh, uh, how many um, the rate of literacy, and you can see that the literacy rate uh, at the beginning of the 20th century in much of Serbia or in Albania was in such a low rate that you can't talk uh, uh, that they, that it's just rhetoric making them difference. It seems that this kind of establishing a bureaucratized uh, statehood uh, has been, uh, for different reasons, uh, different uh, in, in many parts. And uh, he said you can't turn your eyes uh, away from, from factors that you can see in social history yeah? um, and only try to, to, to look to discursive traditions. Yeah, this is what we already a little bit discussed about uh, relying only on intellectual history, and he, he is right. Yeah, and the the where he's not so. Uh, I mean, this has a lot to do also with this the 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 breakdown of the modernization paradigm. Yeah, so that with the end of historical socialwissenschaft or social history uh, of 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 the kind of the sixties and seventies, where the the project of Western modernization has been. In, in, in the core of, uh, of historiography, uh, so that in the end there, there's a, we, are, we are becoming more and more modern societies with better institutions and so on. And I think the modernization paradigm has lost ground. Yeah. And, and many of those who said, look, the Balkans or many parts of Balkans have a different institutional, social, a weaker statehood established and so on, they were uh, they were somehow labelled as modernization uh, modernists, yeah, 
also the question, do you want to be a modernist in, in time where modernization theory is somehow under critique? But I think that there's a lot of where Sundhausen is right. Yeah? Um, but um, we somehow had a research project that we recently finished, um, and we tried to bring to together these two positions about discursively uh, framing and on the way uh, structural uh, heritage and how does it fits together. And we had, uh, we had uh, this project which was called Phantomgrenzen. It was uh, about how, how do understanding of the past re-emerge how do people, uh, for example, in Yugoslavia, how do people s think that they have a, that they are living in regions with a Habsburg heritage? And the Habsburg heritage is different from the Ottoman her heritage, besides the fact that they, are they have been living together for 70 years in a Yugoslav state. Yeah? But the, the way is uh, that our traditions... Yeah? Um, so on the, on the one hand, this has to do with discursive or, the, or, or accepting certain discursive frames, but it had, it's referring to some kind of traditions that obviously seem to be uh, not totally out of, of relevance. Yeah. So I, I think that one can bring together these issues in, if, if you try to, to do it in a more complex way. Yeah, it's interesting. I find this a really interesting mm -hmm. question because we have this idea about um, this question about the brutal murders of King, King Alexander and Queen Draga of Serbia. And how this this idea that it's just a discourse, but then this brutality of them being killed actually happened. So it is legitimate to speak about brutality in this instance. Yeah, but uh, look, um, what's uh, what's his name? The the sleepwalkers. Christopher Clark. Christopher Clark. Have you have you read this book? Mm -hmm. uh, it starts with the murder. Yeah, it starts with with a Balkan trope. Look. It shocked the monarchies that, that, that the monarch uh, in the 20th century can be brutally killed. And almost, almost all European uh, states have been monarchies at that period of time. But now he's taking into the, the story again this, the topic that we are discussing about. So it's the, the unruly Balkans that kill their kings and, and start to create a problem. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was a brutal murder. They somehow picked in it to pieces. Yeah, but on the other hand, what does it? What consequence does it have for our way of um, explaining historiography or history or histori historical events? If they have killed them in a more, I don't know, nice way or <laughs> with the guillotine, would it have been less problematic? Uh, uh, so, what consequences we have? And I think that a lot of this, uh, uh, Maria Todorova has has put into the discussion, yeah. I also found it really interesting what you said about modernization and this modernization theory is really the theory that you touched on and that we were also earlier talking about how ideas of Orientalism and this idea of Balkanism is kind of a move away from these very simplistic West democratic East communist paradigms mm -hmm. and modernization theory was essentially just a, a Cold War weapon for the West to explain why Western democracy was better than other forms but also, of progress. It was also for the for the East, because this was the the promise of modernization. Yeah, if you look for Yugoslavia, that has been uh, uh, before the uh, takeover of, of socialist rule, it has been mainly a agrarian, predominantly agrarian country. In the eight, late eighty eighties or early nineteen nineties, it was a industrialized, mainly urbanized country. Yeah. With, uh, so and the promise 
uh, or the legitimation for rule is to modernize society. Yeah. So uh, in the end, I mean, this variant of modernization that one uh, put forward by the the socialist regimes in the end disintegrated in the I don't know 1980s uh, in the period of deindustrialization. Yeah. Uh, but it was also driven by the modernization paradigm. Uh, but uh, of course, I mean, uh, here it was easier to explain. Look, it, the, the modernization uh, paradigm was not was not functioning for these societies. The question is, the democratic West, does it uh, function there? Yeah, you, you could say, yeah, because we adapted, or we always adapt better, and the democratic system makes us uh, making it better uh, in adapting. I think the modernization um, paradigm is involved. Yeah. Maybe uh, returning to the uh, Sundhausen Todorov debate that you mentioned, uh, maybe a little of a jump, mm -hmm. but um, it sounded a little bit in your description like um, Sundhausen described Todorov as somebody who's just uh, talking about constructs and rhetorics and so on. For, would you say that's a fair characterization of her work? Because from my reading of it is that the book of course has in the beginning this long discursive history of Balkanism and so on, but in the end mm -hmm. this one chapter talks about heritages, for mm -hmm. example the Ottoman heritage mm -hmm. and how that had real impact. So would you say that she is somebody who's only interested in the discourse or does she maybe combine several approaches? <clears throat> yes and no. <laughs> um, Maria Todorova uh, is, is a colleague that I like very much and I read almost of everything of what she's been, been writing. Um, but I think uh, in, in, in imagining the Balkans, she's really pushing forward the, dis the discursive level. Yeah. Uh, I think in other works, uh, and she did, and she said it also deliberately that from, from time to time, historians need to intervene. Yeah. And when I feel to intervene, that it's going too much into one direction, I intervene Uh, from that side, so that in 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 her way, she she it's not that she uh, in her work is only um, uh, doing work on the, the discourse of intellectual side of of the problem, uh, and and for example, she she also started like I don't know most of the historians involved by kinship history, uh, by the way um, uh, how kinship studies in Bulgaria and, uh, uh, and, and, and the Balkans can be, can be framed. So she's very well aware of the uh, economic structural side of the, of the historiographical de debate. Yeah, but uh, um, I think I, 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 would, I would say that uh, the no is that in the end she also is, she's rather talking that it's the, the Ottoman heritage is also a discursively prolonged way of uh, so uh, which which is inherently the Ottoman is is something um, rather weak negatively coined yeah which is a, a discursive tradition mm -hmm. and not something that is because the Ottoman social political system yeah. so and it's interesting to to watch because I, I have. Um, supervised a, a PhD work uh, about the, the redefinition of the, the of Ottoman grandes, yeah, which you can somehow see now in cultural diplomacy of, of present-day Turkey, where this kind of what connects us was this, this, I don't know, this 
glorious imperial uh, past that stretched over three continents and for a long period of time has been such a model. Yeah? This is discursively framed and reframed. Um, and and to, 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 to come to your uh, question, yes, I mean, in the book itself, I think she's more referring to dis discursive traditions and how they, have, how they are established. What doesn't mean that the discursive tradition can't be remodeled. On her use of concepts, um, we noticed that her use of the term West, West itself is quite ambiguous. So she um, denies the idea that there was a common West, which is a problem she finds predominantly in post-colonial discourses. Mm but at the same time seems to draw on implicit definitions of a common West, for example, in her source selection. So how do you see this kind of problem or contradiction and how would you maybe solve it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, she's relying in, in, in the book on, uh, for the earlier periods of time, of, uh, uh, of sources in... Italian, French, English, and Russian, and from the region. But I think this is her West. Uh, so the v Venetian uh, traders are West. Uh, but I don't know if they, if she really t uh, labels them, yeah, maybe as, as Western, because uh, traveling into the Ottoman Empire was traveling into the East. Uh, with the exception of the Russian travelers, uh, and that this is maybe, and for this way, the West is the is is those elite people, or writers, uh, politicians, diplomats, and 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 so on, who travel to the East. So this is, I think, her un understanding. But I think um, that in this way, partly it's in, in involved is this kind of Christianity, Islam. So. Uh, it's a Islamic empire. So this is also involved as, a, as, as, as additional schemes that then later for the later part, uh, when Christianity becomes contested and, uh, and the, the framework of establishing new states. I would say my impression is that, uh, that the, the, the chapter where she is mostly in, engaged with East-West um, debates is where she uh, where she somehow attacks this Central European, this Middle Europa idea, where, where she is trying to criticize those Middle Europeans for not being Easterners, but wanting to be something Westerners. Yeah, but not really. I, I think it's, she's not too much engaging in this idea that there's no homogeneous. Also, the, she says that the British, she says in, on certain periods of time, that there's a British tradition of, of writing there's an Italian way of writing and that there's something as a joint Western approach about is something that evolves only late 90, early 20th century. Then it becomes a, a, a kind of a homogeneous Western uh, discourse, bringing together different traditions. Yeah. So we'd like to move on to kind of some more practical, mm -hmm. tangible questions. Um, so you've spoken already quite a lot about uh, Balkanism's wider impact on academia, but how has the idea influenced you personally, and in your in your work specifically? Mm -hmm. Personally, <clears throat> uh, 
I finished my PhD in 1996, and it was, uh, and then I published it a few years later. And I was very much interested in my PhD work about the the, the transformation of family life in in rural in, in rural uh, regions in the borderland between the Habsburg and the Ottoman larger framework. Uh, and um, the, the, the families there have been, up to the late 19th century, partly uh, huge entities of sometimes 30, 40 people living under one roof, uh, families. They, are, they have been called Zadruge. Yeah. So the cultural factor in understanding this family organization was very strong. Todorova uh, intervention about uh, culturalizing rural life was, by me, understood something as, as, an, as a, also an attack on the way what I was doing, uh, looking to the cultural uh, way of how, the, how, the, how social life is, is constructed. And, and it made me think in a more complex way um, how to deal with culture in, in, in social history, what I was doing at that time predominantly, uh, how can... She, she was for me a little bit... Uh, this book, uh, this period of time during the 1990s was be aware if you talk about culture. <laughs> if you talk about culture... Um, Take care what you are saying, yeah. And I think this helped a lot, yeah. I think this was and it's still valid, yeah. So it's it's you can't totally rule it out, but the other hand is take care in in what ways you use uh, references to to cultural uh, issues, yeah. In the seminar which we run, often the conclusion we come to at the end of reading a text is be aware. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in 2009, Todorova wrote an updated afterward to Imagining the Balkans, um, talking about the slow integration of more and more Balkan states into the European Union. Um, but so Balkanism in politics then kind of seemed to be subsiding. But sometime last year, France vetoed a decision by the EU Council to commence talks with the recently renamed Republic of North Macedonia. So we're wondering if this is maybe an indication that the ghost of Balkanism continues to haunt us kind of 30, almost 30 years later. Absolutely, yes. But I think not so much anymore in historiography. Uh, I think definitely not in, in that, that spheres of historiographical debate on the international level by specialists dealing with the region. I think... This book was very influential to, to intervene against such a, such a way, also by simplifying um, the, the uh, uh, I think no one is uh, any longer talking about uh, the Yugoslav war as a, uh, as a result of cultural uh, polarizations. Yeah. But I think it's still well established in much of media discourses, uh, in, in much of political discourses, so you often find it or, or, or can see it in this way. And they're sometimes really uh, astonished when invited to, 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 to such audiences how much Balkanization is still, still involved. Yeah. And one, one example, um, the peace missions uh, that has been established in, in Bosnia or Kosovo 
they have been uh, equipped with uh, maps um, of Huntington about cultural uh, uh, fault lines. Yeah, so that means uh, there there are soldiers uh, trained for their uh, employment somewhere uh, uh, far away. Yeah, and in in a lecture to prepare for this. They get this Huntington ways of look. There are different cultures that you will be engaging now. Yeah, so balkanization uh, uh, in different variants and for uh, also with different backgrounds, as uh, unfortunately still very much there. And it's I think an uh, obligation also for for, for historians or so all in, interested in in dealing with historiographies of the region to I don't know to. Never stop engaging against them. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of we talked about how the idea, these academic ideas have kind of filtered down, and now sort of lay people are maybe more aware of the idea. But then at the same time, it's still, as you said, continues to be a problem. Yeah, yeah. This is um, it's it's really interesting if you if you see public media or so, you can see a lot of it. Yeah, and unfortunately, also embedded much into this political debate in um, I don't know uh, if if that this should make us historians worried about the way uh, our books are <laughs> received there uh, I don't know <laughs> would you say that's only true of, of um, Western politics and media or does it also um, play a role in the Balkans itself still I remember um, When Klaus Johannes mm -hmm. won his election mm -hmm. recently, he said afterwards, this is the victory for the European Romania, mm -hmm. for the modern Romania, mm -hmm. for the better Romania. Mm -hmm. And I thought that sort of reminded me of, of mm -hmm. some of that. Unfortunately, if you, if, if you looked at uh, not only historians uh, are talking about history, but um, in, in a lot of populist and nationalist campaigns, history plays a crucial role. Uh, and and, and lot, a lot about we and they and us and, and so on uh, refer to a kind of uh, that, that we are different than they are. And so there's uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a it can be done in a, in a, in a, in a, in a rather pejorative way. So that means the, the Albanians uh, in Kosovo, the, yeah. Uh, Uh, but but you can also, you, you can implicitly it's also in the way uh, also in the way uh, of referring to Europeanness and cultureness yeah and so the cultured people wouldn't talk like this yeah, yeah. it's it's there it's yeah. there yeah okay. and therefore it's it's still so relevant to to talk about it uh, and to 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 have a a, a, a sensitive organ. When you when you approach this kind of there are two issues on the one hand is this kind of groupism yeah this this groupists the groupist we that is so present uh, and the other way is that the, the groupist visions are often somehow more or less connected also to to issues that we are discussing here now. So our last question is to kind of get as kind of practical as possible. Mm -hmm. um, how would one practically apply? The ideas that Todorova outlines in this book, for example, as a student in an essay or a research paper, or as a professional historian actually in a monograph or something like that. And on top of that, how would you 
keep it in mind when reading or analyzing a book? Mm -hmm. A lot of discussion is about um, how to apply theory in your work yeah? um, and um, how much has to, to be made explicit and how much is implicit. Yeah? So um, I think if, if, if you talk about uh, or, or you research and write about issues where uh, a, a kind of um, uh, the, the discourse on culture is 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 a is an important factor. Then I, I think vulcanization and and that what we're discussing about Todorova's book, then it should or should be in the explicit part. Um, but sometimes uh, or very often, if you talk uh, and write about different topics, where uh, then it's more I think more in the implicit part that you be aware how you use your languages and, and your explanations without the need to, to somehow open up uh, this topic. So this would be my answer to how, how, how you should, uh, how, someone, how I would do it. So I, I think it's, I hope so, like it's, it's now already in, in, in the way of thinking that, that, uh, that has uh, influenced my way of thinking. Um, and probably there's sometimes the need to, to make it again uh, a crucial point and sometimes not. Um, that is the hard part of it. You, you kind of, we all as historians read lots of theory and in some way it influences how you're thinking and then that obviously comes through when you write your yeah. research papers and sometimes it can be kind of dangerous yeah. if, you, if you're not explicit about yeah, it. Yeah. But I think that, that in, in usually in a research paper or so you can't refer to 20 different theoretical debates you usually refer to one or two which are most important to the question that you answer. But I think that the theory work uh, is, is somehow accumulative. That, uh, so the, the more theory work you do, more complex is your way of analyzing. And therefore the, the theory work is, uh, that totally I support the way that you somehow stress the theory work for historians is so crucial because it's, it's, your, it's your analytical approach to a research problem that can, can only somehow develop further if you engage beside the important, all important empirical works, also in, in, in a never-ending theoretical work, yeah? uh, because this is the way you, you come to new analytical, I don't know, innovation. Uh, and therefore, I'm so, so pleased that, that there is such an endeavor. <laughs> and maybe this, this podcast is also contributing to it. Yeah. Before we started the interview, you mentioned a podcast. Maybe you can mm -hmm. just promote that a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is a podcast that um, Andreas Guidi, who uh, uh, recently has finished his, um, his PhD work uh, studying the transformation of youth in the uh, Rhodos uh, uh, Islands from Ottoman into fascist Italy, Italian rule. So what youth made... Uh, or the, the reference to use and, and, and um, in this in this transformation is a fantastic um, uh, PhD work. And uh, during his PhD uh, uh, research, he uh, started a podcast uh, uh, entitled "The Southeast Passage," where he interviewed um, scholars uh, and also advanced students uh, about different. Um, theoretical, also thematic topics of Southeast European or Balkan or Ottoman uh, studies, 
this is uh, a, a podcast that uh, for those interested into debates ongoing in uh, Southeast European history is uh, something that I would like to recommend uh, using this opportunity that you give me here. <laughs> Excellent. Professor Hannes Grandes, thank you very much for talking to us today.